0: This podcast is a project of the Massachusetts Cultural Council, a state agency committed to building creative communities and inspiring creative minds. Yes, musical excellence is the vehicle, but it's musical excellence learned from teachers who can form those deep, long-term relationships with kids. That's what makes a difference.
1: Hello, I'm Anita Walker, Executive Director of the Massachusetts Cultural Council, and welcome to Creative Minds Out Loud. Joining us today is Carolyn Mower-Burns, President and CEO of Berkshire Children and Families, and welcome to the program.
0: Thank you, Anita. I'm so happy to be here with you. It's an Car- honor.
1: Carolyn, you know that I couldn't wait to have you on this program because of the work you're doing for families and children through music. But before we talk about that, tell me a little bit about your work and the people you work with. Well, in the
0: agency in general, we work with families from underserved communities in Pittsfield, throughout Berkshire County, and over into the Pioneer Valley, particularly in Hampshire County. You're a human services agency. We're, yes, we're a family and children's agency. Everything we do has to do with families and children. We provide early childhood services and family support and foster care and adoption, and we're a partner in the very innovative Treehouse intergenerational community in East Hampton.
1: Which is, tell about that.
0: That's a wonderful program founded by Judy Cockerton, and I mention it in particular because this was part of my inspiration for our Kids for Harmony music program, because Treehouse is all about supporting children, Who who are in the foster care system or are being adopted or being cared for by relatives and the caretakers who take care of them, whether those are foster parents or adoptive parents or sometimes kinship. But they live in a beautiful community in East Hampton with elders. And elders support families, and elders are needed and wanted and valued and children are valued, and it, it's about well-being. It's about the immediate well-being of people, whatever circumstance they are in their lives. And I think, to me, that is, in the child welfare system, which I come out of, the outcomes that they usually talk about, the federal outcomes, are safety, permanency, which is you know a permanent living situation, and well-being. And unfortunately, what happens if you think of those things in a linear way and you think, well, we have to keep kids safe first, well, that makes total sense, right, doesn't it? And we, then we want them in permanent living situations, and then we'll think about the rest of their lives. And what I've come to believe is that if we can always be focusing on the well-being of children and what they need to thrive then that will support those other outcomes. It may even need to come first. Yes, I really do believe that it comes first and it promotes safety and it promotes permanency for children. And I think it's very similar to the... um, I'm sure you've heard about the um, blue zones, the population health approach, which has looked at um, these blue zones around the world where people you know, live to be 105, and do well, and they look at, you know, what are the qualities of blue zones, and how can we duplicate those? How can we create, this is really even before what we would call in my field primary prevention. This is saying, what can we do in an environment to really get rid of some of the risk factors that um, cause people to get sick. That's from the public health point of view. So um, I what we're, the work that we're trying to do now is to say, OK, we do a very good job as an agency in helping people after they've been hurt, or after kids are in the foster care system, or after families have led lives where they don't have enough resources. But how can we move out in front of that, instead how, of fixing yeah.
1: what's broken? Yeah, prevent things from getting yeah. broken. Yeah, how in the first can place? we prevent
0: things? How can we get upstream, and how can we really um, think about what are the things that all people need, that all children need in order to thrive? So that brings us
1: to music and kids yes. for harmony. Yes. So how did you come upon that?
0: Well, we came about it on a very strange way. We. Um, about six years ago, the Longwood Symphony from Boston, which is an all-volunteer symphony, as you know, made their debut at Ozawa Hall at Tanglewood. They wanted a local community partner to um, work with them. And their wonderful leader, and I know you know Lisa Wong, Lisa Wong told me about El Sistema. And she said, you ought to do that. You're the perfect agency to do it. So, I looked into it. I started learning about it, what it was, started learning about it from people like Eli and Carolyn Newberger, Mark Churchill, and, who was then at the New England um, Conservatory. And we had been thinking as an agency, again, what could we do where we could move more upstream and do something that would really create opportunities for children instead of obstacles.
1: And I will interject to just uh, tell our listeners, El Sistema is a program that started about 30 years ago in Venezuela with 30 kids in a garage, Uh, making music together and now there's nearly a million children in Venezuela who have gone through that program it is not a program that is run out of the Ministry of Culture it is not a scene as an arts program it's seen as a social justice program but it has been transformational in the lives of millions of children in Venezuela
0: yes and around the world its blossoming all over the world I've been particularly interested in the um, work that's happening in Scotland with big noise, which I think is the best name for a program I've ever heard. But and I think in certain respects our work in this country may be more comparable to what, culturally, to what goes on in Scotland. But the thing that has really struck me and really brings the program full circle for us, because people say, why is a social service agency running a classical music program? And it has its challenges. We've had to bring in expertise. We've been very fortunate to have um, Venezuelans Jorge Soto and the Maria uh, Mary Esther and Marilisa Alvarez come out from Boston every week to work with our kids and our teachers. And they grew up in El Sistema in Venezuela, and that's been enormously helpful in understanding.
1: And before you tell uh, the impact of this, I do have to put in a plug for the Massachusetts Cultural Council, which has embraced the El Sistema movement and is supporting um, probably more than a, do- a dozen El Sistema-inspired programs mm-hmm. in Massachusetts. And we're very proud that we have attracted and hired Rodrigo Guerrero, yes. who was um, the chief of staff for El Sistema in Venezuela. He could have gone any place in the world, and he chose to come yes. to Massachusetts.
0: Yes, he's just—he's absolutely fabulous and He and Eric Holmgren, who's just about my favorite person in the whole world, have really provided us incredible consultation.
1: So now you have children um, making music in the Kids for Mm -hmm. Harmony program, and you're interested not just in how well they play the violin. You're interested in their well-being and their family. So talk about what you've discovered.
0: Yes, well, what we've discovered, but first, again, we had to achieve musical excellence. Because that is the vehicle, you know that the the discipline um, and citizenship, etc., that goes into creating musical excellence, is what really starts to change brains, develop brains, develop the prefrontal cortex and all the executive functioning, helps kids function better in school. Um, So we had to get there with the musical excellence, but what we learned along the way is the musical excellence is not the result. The results are what we see in where these children start to go in their lives and where their families start to go. And as far as I know, we're the only program that's really focusing on families. And we have our programs we have a site in Pittsfield in Morningside Community School, and another site in North Adams at the Brayton School. And those are both neighborhoods that are very underserved um, and have lots of needs. And we have families who themselves did not have great experiences in school. Um, they, um, they don't necessarily always trust schools, etc. But With their children participating in our program after school, we're able to start to draw them into school. And not just moms, everybody says, oh well, nobody works with dads. We have dads. And if you came to one of our casual concerts, which we do about once a month at the school, and they're really designed for families to see how their kids are doing and understand what they're learning, we have families strolling in, moms, dads, younger siblings, grandmothers, aunts and uncles. We have the head of the Pittsfield School Committee who always shows up. But to see families start to feel that this is their school and that their kids are excelling at something starts to really be a restorative experience. Because families take pride in their children. They have hopes for their children. Now of course what happens is, like all families, they have their struggles. And this is what's great for us about being a social service agency, because as they become our partners on behalf of their kids, they also trust us enough to say when they're having a problem with something. But they're not coming to us with a problem to start with. They're coming over our shared hope for their children. And that starts a different kind of relationship. You know, and again, it comes full circle as a social worker, it always comes back to relationships. You know, so even what they, the research in Scotland says, yes, musical excellence is the vehicle, but it's musical excellence learned from teachers who can form those deep, long-term relationships with kids. That's what makes a difference. So all over the place, we're growing relationships one-on-one, in the ensemble, and with families as a group. And our families, we meet with families as a group once a month. So we're growing their social networks as well.
1: You know, Maestro Abreu, who started the El Sistema program, uh like to say that um, there's nothing more powerful than bringing people together to make something beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that's what ensemble music making yes. is all about. yes. There's there's a role for everybody. Mm-hmm. If a child can play one note yep. or the entire piece, everybody is contributing yes. to something wonderful.
0: It's true. Everybody's part of that whole. And the, you know, there was an article in um, the World Ensemble online newsletter by Adele Diamond, who's done research on. She's a neuroscientist and has done research, and so she talks about all the ways that El Sistema programs really develop that executive functioning of the brain, all the things we've talked about in terms of the ensemble playing, the discipline, etc. But what she also says is for the executive functioning to really work right, you also have to have conditions that relieve stress and relieve loneliness because those get in the way. And you need to have experiences that give you joy. And so she says that's what's the most wonderful thing about music is that you can have all, you can have that direct benefit, and then you get those indirect benefits of relieving stress and loneliness
1: and growing joy. So the next time anyone says, um, what's a social worker doing in the music business, um, the answer should be... Why isn't every social worker involved with music? (laughs) I'm a convert. That's what I've come to believe. Carolyn Mower Burns, president and CEO of Berkshire Children and Families, another one of our Creative Minds Out Loud. To learn more about this episode and to subscribe, visit creativemindsoutloud.org.